0: following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Okay. Um, good morning. Good um, morning. I asked... Uh, Daniel, if he would sing with us this morning, um, seeing as was, it's his, uh, his last Sunday before I headed off to school, and he chose all the music for this morning um, for us to share, so that means after the sermon, you'll have to learn a new song. I said, I need six song suggestions, and I said, not Toby Mac, I, stuff we can sing, <laughs> and um, and not all new songs, so uh, I did a great job, so Yeah. Before we get too far, I wondered if I could ask uh, Grace and Daniel to come up, and and the elders to come, and and like to have a little prayer with you. Uh, Josie's already gone off to school, so we'll we'll include her as well. But um, just want to embarrass you guys a little bit. That's all. Oh yay fun! (laughs) Yeah, you guys come over here. So um, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for these young people that you have blessed our family with. Um, We're so grateful for their lives and testimonies. We're so thankful for your faithfulness to them, um, how you called them out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We thank you, Lord, for the individual gifts and abilities that you've given to them. We thank you for their love for you. And I pray, Father, that you would protect them when they go off to school. Uh, They take this uh, step of independence maybe from their uh, from their parents, but certainly not a step of independence from you, Lord. I pray that you would hold them close, um, that you would continue to guide their their footsteps, uh, one step at a time. May your word be a light, a uh, lamp to their feet and a light to their path, and may their um, the new chapter of their story uh, be one of uh, glory to you, uh, and you alone. Lord, we love them. We know you love them more and you have such great things in store for them. Lord, we can't wait to hear about it. We love you, Lord. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Need some water. Yeah, actually. (laughs) See how I did that without crying? Good job. (laughs) Because I'm on heavy-duty cold medicine. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Sermon should be fun. Yeah. Well, we are returning to 1 Peter 4 this morning. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11, and that's page 1016 in the Pew Bible. Now, last week, um, we talked about the path to Parmachini Dam um, and the long walk through the puckerbrush. That is, that is the Christian life, and how our goal is not to just get to the end of the path, but to stay on the path uh, that Jesus has cut for us, no matter how thick the bushes might get or how alluring or easy leaving the path might seem. In our passage this morning, Peter's concern is not so much about the path or staying on the path, uh, but more about how we think about and act towards ourselves and others that are walking on the path along with us. So let's read that text and we'll dive in. 1 Peter 4, starting at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that your word would come alive to us. And that we would be changed by it. Lord, speak to us now through your Holy Spirit. We trust these are your words. Open our hearts to receive your message in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said last week, our goal in life should not just be to get to the end of the path that Jesus has cut for us. Uh, survival being our only goal. Uh, our, our goal should be to stay on the path to the end. Uh, in either case, the truth of the matter is that with every passing day, we are getting closer and closer to the end of the trail. And Peter believed this to be true. In fact, all the the apostles believed that Jesus would return in their lifetime. We can't have it all, right? They were they were not right about that. They were wrong, but. Um, that doesn't negate Jesus' promise to return. Uh, Peter's words in verse 7 are more true now than when Peter wrote them. The end of all things is at hand. Um, and that's a. It just means the time is coming. It's drawing near, is, is, is what that word means. And was Peter right? Yes. Is he still right? Yes. The time is drawing near. It's nearer now than it was then, but it's still coming. The return of Christ and the end of the age, uh, end of this age, is a, is approaching its end, and we ought to live with the attitude that it's, the end is coming. Now, that doesn't mean putting on a sign and standing on the street corner saying the end is near. Um, although, I, I don't know, I mean, if you're feeling called to that, who am I, I to argue with your feelings? <coughs> <coughs> Either way, if we live as if our time is truly short, that will rearrange our priorities, to be honest. And that's exactly what Peter was hoping to communicate, to live as though the end is near. Um, Jesus is coming soon to judge the living and the dead. Therefore, here is a short list of general principles that ought to help you realign your priorities. That's Peter's intent Uh, And I think that it still holds true for us now, uh, even 2,000 years later. The first principle he mentions is in verse 7, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We've been dealing with a lot of phrases that Peter has used that can be very confusing if you just take them out on their own. Um, Be sober-minded and self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. Like, if you're not self-controlled and sober-minded, your prayers... eh, not going to be that great, you know. God might not listen to you. They might just your prayers just might bounce off the ceiling. There's some more Christianese we talked about last week you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. That's like that's heresy. That God is on this side of the ceiling. He he hears you. Um doesn't matter what you feel like. I said it again. Doesn't matter what you feel like. As we walk along the path we must have sound judgment. We must be sensible. We must have understanding about practical matters. We must be in control of our thought process and not in danger of irrational thinking in order to pray. Like, if we don't have those priorities lined up, our, our prayers are not, it's not that they're not going to be effective. You're going to pray for the wrong thing. God, Just bless me, God. Um, I know that you want victory for me in my life, and so therefore, you know this. Uh, whatever this obstacle is that I'm facing, I, I believe that it will be removed. That, that doesn't work that way. That's that is not sober-minded. That is not self-controlled. That, that is not sound judgment. 18th century German theologian Johann Bengel wrote, "Temperance." facilitates vigilance, and both aid prayer. That's, that's the, the words Peter's using, is temperance, right? Self-controlled, sober-minded thinking, control of your thought process. And if you are in control of your thought process, that will breed diligence, and that will aid prayer, right? Because you understand what to pray for, more so than how to pray, really. But what do we pray for? Praying for opportunities, like Heather said before, those opportunities were there, and you're praying for those opportunities. It attunes your senses, right? So now you're looking for those opportunities. They were there before. You just weren't looking for them. And that's, that's exactly, I think, a, well, that's a great example of what Peter is talking about. Having sound judgment and understanding, being sensible, being in control of our thought processes, all affects how we pray. It all affects when we pray. It affects how, what, how often we pray, how long we pray for, what we pray for, who we pray for. And I would argue that it's the lack of sound judgment and understanding, the lack of sensibility and control of our thought processes that keeps us from praying. Because that's not a grasp of reality. If we're not begging God for help 24-7, it's because we have deluded ourselves into thinking, we're good. You know, I don't want to bother God right now. I'm fine. I'm fine. You got more important things. There's Afghanistan, Lord. Like, there's a hurricane. Take care of them. Don't worry about me. Hmm. God made the planet, friends. <laughs> he can handle it. He can handle it. If we, we, If we truly had a handle on the reality of this life and what we are each and all up against... And the help that is available to us, we wouldn't be able to help but pray. Verse eight says, "Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins." Now Peter is quoting from Proverbs here. He quotes the latter half of Proverbs ten twelve, um, but the whole verse bears repeating. Uh, Proverbs 10:12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Sounds easy, right? Well, we stink at it, so why? <laughs> we can't think it's easy, right? No, we like offenses. We like being bothered by, can you believe what so-and-so put on Facebook this week? Did you see that? Love covers a multitude of sins, a multitude of offenses. We like getting stirred up because we like hatred in our flesh. You know that it's true. I'm not telling you anything new. We like being bothered. That's why, we're, <laughs> that's why we have the scripture that says, love one another earnestly. Really, I mean it. Paul echoes this thought thought in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 4 through 7. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant nor rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not uh, irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There's a definition of love. Peter doesn't exhort the church to keep tolerating yourselves, at least while you're at church. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Or just try to keep from killing each other while you're in the same room. His command is to keep loving one another earnestly. I love the word earnestly. In English, it's just kind of, right, like, no, no, really. But in Greek, it's a very powerful word. It's to It's to strain and stretch out like an athlete trying to cross the finish line first, right? We just watched the Olympics, and I love watching the sprinters because it's short, right? The races are over, and they're on to the next one. But when they get to that line, they're stretching way out like that. They're trying to – that's exactly how we are to love one another, stretching, straining, reaching out for the goal to love, doing above and beyond – what we've already been doing to give it your all so why do we need to be commanded to do this is that a secret it isn't is it we don't do this we don't do this naturally like we get we get along like this this church is an absolute miracle this church family is amazing to me i've been part of the church for a while Not all the groups are like this. Um, And so I personally believe that you excel at this, and it's awesome. But there's more. There's more loving to do. There's more stretching out that we can do. Jesus had to tell us to do unto others as we would have them do unto us because it's in our nature to do otherwise, just the opposite. Do to me as I would have you do to me. I don't really care about you. Just gimme, 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 right? And I say that because I have it right, and you guys stick. No, no. We all need this. We all need to work on this. And that love looks different for all of us. It's not the same for everybody, but we need to stretch out to earnestly love one another. But how does love cover a multitude of sins? Martin Luther rightly wrote, The covering up relates to man and not to God. Nothing can cover your sin before God except faith. But my love covers my neighbor's sin. And just as God covers my sin, if I believe, so ought I also to cover the sins of my neighbor. That's to overlook uh, the failings and faults of your neighbor with love. That's when you're stretching out and straining to seek their best, what they've done or what they said or what they do or how they smell or how they dress or where they live is irrelevant. Right? That's covered up. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's this love for one another that really fuels or motivates us to do the rest of what Peter instructs here, along with the reality that nothing. Uh, Uh, Who wrote this? (laughs) Nothing, we really don't have the power in ourselves, we don't really have the power in ourselves to do any of this anyway. Did you get that? (laughs) I I did not take cold medicine before I wrote this. Maybe I did, I don't remember. We don't have the power in ourselves to do any of this good anyway, okay? That's the truth. We need the Holy Spirit's help. Look at verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, This may not seem like a big deal on the surface, um, but that's because our 21st century idea of hospitality um, is, is limited to having people over for supper. Like, that's hospitality. Come over for dinner. Well, it's a little more than that. In the first century church, hospitality is a regular occurrence. It, it was a regular occurrence that people were displaced from their homes because of their faith. Right? Think Afghanistan now. Think of the persecuted church in Afghanistan now. Hospitality is taking those people in. Right? Hospitality is, is taking, taking in um, uh, the Jews that were hiding in World War II. Right? That's, that's hospitality. That's risking your life to protect and care for someone else. Not, I can't believe you invited them over for dinner. Now I have to vacuum. (laughs) We've been doing that for the last two days because we have family coming over today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. People would be displaced from their homes in the first century, Would be dependent on the charity of others to provide them with food and housing. Peter's original audience uh, were exiles living in a foreign land, right? This idea would be a lot more familiar to them than it is to us. But there's still a principle there that we can apply. And it's not just don't complain uh, when your spouse invites people over for dinner. Practicing hospitality without complaining in the 21st century church is nothing more than offering our homes and lands as ministry centers. Ministry centers. Whether that's providing housing for those in need or hosting Bible studies and group meetings or simply welcoming people into your homes for no purpose other than blessing them with a meal and being blessed by the fellowship. Here in New England... We kind of we tend to build fences like this is my dominion, and if I want to see you, I'll come out of it. I, we live on the top of a mountain away from everybody else. We don't live on Main Street and for this reason. I'd rather not have people wandering in all the time. We lived in that house once before. We had to chase people out of the yard all the time. We have a tendency to build those walls and I will, if I want contact with you, I will come out of my dwelling and meet you someplace safe and public. That's Peter saying, no. We got to do this. Open your house. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares when the last time you mopped the floor, they don't care if it smells like less oil in your living room and comet in your bathroom. They don't care. We don't care. Open your house and let the Lord bless you and bless others through you and your home. The best way to adopt this way of thinking is to remember that nothing that we have belongs to us anyway. (laughs) We need to adopt an attitude of stewardship. That's where Peter goes next. Stewardship. John Calvin wrote, For nothing is more fitted to correct our murmurings than to remember that we do not give of our own but only dispense what God has committed to us. What you have isn't yours anyway. Might as well share it. Stewardship is the management of property by a servant on behalf of its owner. And the owner, in case you were wondering, is the owner of all things, our Heavenly Father. The owner of all things is God. And as a very dear friend of mine uh, Pastor Ben Heald used to say, good stewardship does not equal cheap. I re- I remember sitting in a in a meeting one time, and uh, we were remodeling the bathroom in the parsonage. It was like falling in. It was horrible. And the guy spoke up and said, you know, we can get new fixtures, but they ain't got to be Kohler. They were all Kohler. They were. You don't have to get the most expensive stuff. We did. Uh, And it lasted. And it's still there. Well, most of it. What's up? Actually, none of it. But (laughs) it was a really nice toilet. (sighs) Our tendency is towards hoarding the good. Hoarding the good that we have and keeping it to ourselves. Or saving for a rainy day and calling that good stewardship. Just not, we're not just going to blow all the money. We're not going to blow all our resources. What happens if something happens? Oh, God can only bless us if we have a rainy day fund. He can only provide for us if we have proper planning. I'm not, I'm not saying we need to be irresponsible. But in truth, as Jesus said, freely you have received... each of us has gifts. and these are not limited to the incomplete spiritual gifts tests. Uh, th- those, w- like that list is not complete. Um, these are We have gifts and abilities that we possess, both spiritual and natural that when surrendered to the use of the Lord, get supercharged for by His Spirit for His glory, for the good of His kingdom. And I, say, well, I, don't, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I can't play the guitar. Well, that's not, okay, well, that's not in the book. Uh, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift I don't have wisdom. Yeah, okay. We have so much, and we just don't see it, because we don't think... That it's all for God. We don't think that it's all for his glory. I mean, plumbing is a gift. Right? Amen over there. If you're waiting for your house to get built and hung up on a plumber. Right? We can use the gifts that we have, that we possess, our talents and abilities, to bless the Lord, to bless the church, and to expand God's kingdom. Right. You don't think that being able to attach vinyl siding is a gift? You are wrong. Right. When this project happened back here and this, this back wall got sided, we hadn't seen each other in like 47 years, and we got together to do that. And it, it happened with two people that knew what they were doing and the rest of us just climbing around on staging like monkeys. It was awesome. And that was a that was such a blessing to me personally, uh and I think it was a blessing to the church uh and a blessing to the lord and It's obviously working to reach you know the multitudes because it's the back wall. If it was the front wall, people would be pouring in here, I'm sure next maybe next year, yeah we do have a piece that's falling down wow. none of that was in the notes these. Gifts are not ours to hoard. We are stewards of them. They belong to the Lord, and He is calling us to use them for His glory and the good of His church, the expansion of His kingdom. Peter breaks these down into two categories, but the first one is really part of the second one, uh, in my opinion. The categories are speaking and serving. Now, this is where we get into trouble with the spiritual gifts assessment tests, right? Well, I, I'm not a public speaker, I'm a machinist, everybody. Okay, here I am. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. Verse 11 says, Whoever speaks as those who speak the oracles of God, no pressure, whether it's preaching or teaching, words of comfort or encouragement, when we speak, we speak the messages of God. And these messages should be delivered with earnestness and humility. It is God's holy word that he entrusts to the lowly instrument of the speaker's mouth. That's not just me. That's every time we speak on God's behalf, we speak as oracles of God. When you share the gospel with your coworkers, when you speak words of encouragement to your brother or to your sister, you are speaking the oracles, the messages of God. And whoever serves should serve by the strength that God supplies. 19th century English theologian Christopher Wordsworth wrote, Let each man apply to his neighbor all the good in his power with the utmost humility, knowing that of himself, without God supplying, he cannot have anything to apply. When we have the attitude of stewardship rather than ownership of our gifts and abilities, the opportunities to serve others in Jesus' name and the power to perform that service will come, and it will come from the hand of God. So, like when good things happen, when you surrender your gifts or ability, whatever it happens to be, and good things happen and you're surprised? You love that? Like, that, that's what's promised. This is going to happen when you surrender your abilities, your talents to serve others in Jesus' name. He will work. John Calvin wrote, Whatever part of the burden you bear in the church, know that you can do nothing but what you have been given by the Lord. And you are nothing but an instrument of God. Take heed then not to abuse that grace of God by exalting yourself. Take heed not to suppress the power of God, which puts forth and manifests itself in the ministry for the salvation of the brethren. It's not about us. A shiny trumpet can play a tune. All my lights are still good, so I don't know what that was. This attitude of stewardship of God's very grace is all grounded where we first began, being self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. This is what it means. This is the attitude we are to have. When we grasp the reality that we don't have anything of our own, everything we have belongs to God, we've been entrusted by God to act as stewards of it, when we are sensible and have understanding about practical matters, matters when we have sound judgment and are in control of our thought process, we can clearly see that all the good that we have is from God, our Heavenly Father. That's a gift. And it's by His grace that we have forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. And it is by His grace that we have time and talents and treasures to offer for His use for his glory, and for the growth of his kingdom. The end of all things is at hand. A reminder, take this seriously. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift Father, we are grateful for your varied grace. The same grace that offers us salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is that same grace that offers us supercharged abilities and talents to be offered for your glory and the good of your kingdom. I pray, Father, if there is anyone within the sound of my voice that has not experienced the grace of God through salvation and through faith in Jesus Christ, that even now, in these very moments, they would call out to you and ask for forgiveness. To accept your death on the cross was for them. That you rose from the grave to give them life. And that they would entrust the rest of their life to you. And, Father, for those of us who have been walking with you, pray that we would embrace this grace to offer our gifts that you have bestowed on us. You are the one that um, gives us our talents and ability, natural and supernatural. May we surrender them for your use, that you might be glorified. We love you, Father. May your church be a blessing to you today, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.